morning, everyone. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Legacy. Whether you're joining us online, on television, or right here in the sanctuary, we're so glad you decided to spend just a little bit of your Easter morning with us. You know, we've spent this last Lent season exploring all the encounters with God has with people around trees, around trees, near trees, in trees. And we've seen God impact people in that present moment and their whole families for generations to come. Trees not only literally give us provisions, literally give us life, they also serve as reminders. Daily reminders as we see them in the world, just how much God cares and provides and loves each and every one of us. Not only that, trees are the only things that when, from our childhood that are bigger when we go back and visit them as adults. So I grew up on the south side of Bismarck, South 3rd Street, just a block south of Dorothy Moses Elementary School. Go Stars. You know, we, we teach our kids rivalries early on with schools. I, our mascot was the Stars, and my kids now go to school. Their elementary school mascot, Superstars. Uh, probably have a school that's Mega Stars, too, at some point. So I did this walk every single day, very familiar with the walk. I knew every single crack in the sidewalk, every water access to step over, every sidewalk that my bike would have, you know, a pretty good jump to get over, and I knew every tree. I knew every tree that I could jump and reach just the bottommost branch of. So recently, after about a decade or so, I drove back down 3rd Street, and what struck me the trees were absolutely enormous. They were enormous. I couldn't believe how much they changed since I had last walked that route as a fifth and a sixth grade elementary student. They were so much larger. Now if I tried to jump up and reach one of those, I'd probably land and twist a knee and break an ankle or something if I could even get to that branch. You know, friends, our passion our faith, our connection with Jesus should be like that as well. Next year and the next decade, we should be able to say about our faith in Christ, our faith has grown, it has deepened, it is bigger, it is richer than it was last year. It was richer than it was 10 years ago. But just like a tree requires resources, a tree requires rain and sun and water and care to grow, so does our faith. Our faith takes commitment and discipline and priorities to flourish. Now, it's no secret that the pandemic upended church as normal. Unfortunately, instead of finding ways to grow faith at home, so many just disconnected from faith, and they're finding it hard to reconnect again. So this Easter, make a commitment. Make a commitment to grow your faith. Take a step today. Dig roots in Christ. Dig deeper. Deepen in. Make it richer. There is no better day, there is no better day than Easter Sunday to make that commitment to grow your faith deep in Christ as we explore the defining event, the defining event of what it means to follow Jesus. Now one Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb of Jesus. Jesus had been brutally murdered two days before on Friday for no good reason. The powers that be did not like what he was saying and preaching, so they wanted him dead, removed from the picture. Now, much to Mary's surprise, when she gets to the tomb, the tomb is empty. There's nothing in there but burial clothes. A few other disciples come, they explore the scene, and they eventually leave. Mary stays behind just that little bit longer, and we pick up the story in John chapter 20. 
Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting on the head and the other at the foot of the place of the, where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they put him. Mary wanted to pay respects to her beloved teacher, and she's now confronted with what happened to his body. There in this ordinary moment, a very ordinary moment of honoring someone departed, two angels show up. Now she takes it in stride, no apparent confusion or concern. I mean, I think I'd scream, ah, angels, and run away. She doesn't. She just takes it in stride. I'd have some more questions if I was there. But Mary does show us this thing about our faith. Mary shows us one of the ways we grow deep roots in Christ. We look out. We keep watch for the extraordinary in the ordinary. So many times, so many times, God shows up in the normal, everyday, routine activities of our lives. Visitation comes in the ordinary. As we grocery shop, while we work at the office, while we're at school, in the course of our everyday ordinary life, God makes appearances regularly, whether through someone who helps us meet a need at just the right time or Jesus showing up in a supernatural way. God makes appearances in the everyday routine, some of us would say boring, parts of our day. Keep watch. Keep watch for God moving in your daily activities this week because that's what Mary finds. Mary finds God keeps showing up because visitation comes in the ordinary. Let's keep going in the story. Mary turned to leave and she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him. I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Jesus is not dead. He is very much alive. Mary thinks he's the gardener, which is both wrong and absolutely right. Now, the tomb is in a garden, and so she thinks he is tending this garden right outside the tomb. Now, while he's not the caretaker for this specific piece of land, Jesus is the gardener with the capital G of the universe. You see, John, writing this book, is trying to convince you that Jesus isn't just the Messiah that Jews have been waiting for. John's trying to convince you Jesus is the Savior of the world and God in the flesh who came to save us from ourselves. That is an extraordinary claim. God in Jesus is absolutely the gardener. Jesus was right there when God created the universe, created gardens and flowers and trees. And this gardener has come to clean up the mess we made in the first garden. Adam and Eve made a choice involving a tree. And sin and brokenness and death entered the world. Now Jesus, dying on a dead tree, has turned everything right side up again. Christ died for us to free us from our bondage and our addictions and our addiction to sin and all those other earthly addictions like wealth and power and fame. Friends, there is a way to be made whole. There is a way to defeat death. There is a way to conquer sin. Jesus made that way through his resurrection. This garden that fixes all of the pain and suffering and death caused by the choice in the first garden. 
all we have to do is to follow Jesus. We must be willing to say Jesus is Lord each and every day over our lives and over the course of all of human history. Jesus is Lord. Do you believe? Do you believe and confess that today? Now, Mary Magdalene ends up being the first missionary. She is the first evangelist of Jesus' resurrection. The disciples have a hard time believing her, but they do eventually come around. Now, to the disciples' credit, this is a crazy story, right? I mean, people do not come back from the dead, but Jesus did. So what does that mean? What does that mean for all of us? It means death is not the end of anyone's story. Death is not the end for anyone. Jesus' resurrection puts the world and all of us on a path of restoration and healing that we've never seen before. And frankly, we cannot even truly imagine in a world of pandemics and wars and violence to each other. Revelation, the final book in your Bible, frankly, probably authored by the same John at the end of his life, he gives us glimpses, gives us pictures and images of poetry of the world to come. Because when you see something you can't explain, when you see something that just doesn't fit into any box you've got, you go to images and you go to poetry. And that's what Revelation is. He gives us images of a world that is to come unlike anything we've seen before. And it's possible because of Jesus' resurrection, the garden that fixes the first garden. In the future... A new city comes down from the heaven where we live together with God, walking and talking with God like we walk and talk with each other. Here in Revelation 22, we get a glimpse of what this new city looks like. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop every month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They'll be permitted to enter the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. You know, we all have our most favorite and comfortable chairs and couches at our homes. I would guess that most of us have our best and favorite and most comfortable chair facing televisions. Now, what does God's favorite chair, where's his favorite lazy boy, his recliner, his couch, what does it face? God's throne faces trees, all kinds of trees, multiple trees of life that feed and nourish and care for everyone who lives in this city, everyone who walks with Jesus. Even the leaves, even the leaves have purpose. They will heal the nations that war against each other, that war against the very people that live within their borders. That will cease. That will end. Nations will be healed by the very leaves on these many trees of life. Man, we could use some of that medicine today. Everyone. Everyone who says Jesus is Lord inhabits this city, a city where there'll be no more crying or pain or tears or death or suffering ever again. That's coming. It is for certain. Count on it. It will happen because it was made certain the day Jesus walked out of the tomb into that garden after three days alive and well. The Savior of each and every one of us. The city full of trees of life is coming. You can bank on it. The story of the Bible the story of us, it is framed, it is marked by three trees. 
The first, the tree and the garden of Eden where Adam and Eve make a choice, sin, brokenness, death, enter the world. The second, the dead tree, the tree on which Jesus dies and it undoes everything that happens in that first garden. And third, these trees of life, these trees of life down the new city, the street of Jerusalem where everything is healed, everyone is made new, and everything sad will become untrue. Everything sad will become untrue. That is the hope. That is the hope of the resurrection and the new heaven and the new earth. I've been captivated by this phrase lately. It's not scripture, but it's rooted in it. It's actually dialogue from the Lord of the Rings, a Christian allegory. Sam the Hobbit, who's helped save the day, asks Gandalf this, Gandalf the wizard, in the form of a question. He asks, Gandalf, will everything sad become untrue? Will everything sad become untrue? We Christians say, yes, absolutely yes. It speaks not just to the resurrection of the dead, but the redemption and the restoration of all the pain and suffering and grief we've experienced in this life. All suffering that we've inflicted upon each other will be redeemed and healed. Somehow, some way, sometime, somewhere, everything sad will become untrue. Because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, everything sad will become untrue. At every funeral, every memorial service that I officiate, no matter the age of the person that has passed, there is a sense of injustice. There is a sense that this is not fair. It is not fair losing loved ones to illness, to disease, to death. And no matter how long or how short someone has spent with us, we feel it deep in our bones that we should not be separated from those that we love. That feeling of disquiet, that feeling of injustice is placed into us by design. God put that there. Death was not the original plan. Death is not fair. It is unjust, and it was not the way the world was supposed to be. The day is coming when death will be no more. Death is already defeated by Jesus walking out of that grave 2,000 years ago. It will be finally conquered forever when Jesus returns the second time, bringing him with bring with him the new heaven and the new earth described in Revelation. That city surrounded by trees of life on every side, bringing food for everyone and healing to all the nations for all time. Until that day, until that day, it is the character of God, it is the character of Jesus to bring good out of the awful and evil and tragic that happens to us. God is not the author, nor is God the cause of everything that happens to us under the sun. Jesus does, Jesus does work good out of all that happens. Jesus brings healing to us and to the world because that's who he is. That's what he does. Jesus brings healing. Jesus forces good to come out of the awful and bad and tragic and evil things that happen to us. So today, today we live between two of those three trees. We live after the dead tree, we live after the resurrection, and we live before. We live before all of those trees of life where God's throne is facing these trees that heal everything. So how do we live? How do we respond now living after Jesus' resurrection and awaiting the new heaven and the new earth? First, we must decide who we belong to. We must decide who we follow. 
Do we declare Jesus is Lord in our lives? Now, to be sure, weigh your choice. Saying Jesus is Lord is not a minor pledge. It's not a minor commitment or promise. The very first confession by the very first Christians were these three simple words. Jesus is Lord. Now, in the first century, good Roman citizens greeted each other by saying, Caesar is Lord. You could keep whatever gods you have. You can keep whatever god that you follow. Keep all of your little gods or God as long as you said, Caesar is Lord. Over and above your gods or your god, Caesar is Lord. The earliest Christians essentially were treasonous. They were treasonous because they didn't say Caesar is Lord. They said Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not, Jesus is. Jesus is not just a part or a piece of our lives we attend to every now and then. Jesus is everything and over and above everything in our lives. Jesus is not optional, not one thing that we do every now and then. Jesus shapes everything about who we are, what we believe, and how we spend our time, our limited time, alone and together on this planet. So weigh your choice. Some of the earliest Christians were killed for that statement and belief, Jesus is Lord. Following Christ today is still going to cost us something, but following Jesus is the way to life. Life abundant, life fulfilling, with purpose and joy and hope. And that's what it means to follow the resurrected Jesus today. So do you confess? Do you confess Jesus is Lord? Second, Paul, the first century church planter, he was trying to help the church in Galatia one day. He was trying to help them dig their roots deep in Christ, deep in Jesus, no matter what chaos or disorder might be going on in the world. He encouraged them to invite the Holy Spirit in their lives every day through prayer and action to shape them to be more like Jesus. And we know the Spirit's in our lives because we're going to change. We're going to notice we're producing more fruit we're producing more love and joy than we did before. We're producing more patience and kindness, more goodness and self-control than we had than before following Jesus. You might recognize those as the fruit of the Spirit. Now, in our family, I do much of the grocery shopping. Occasionally, you'll see me at the grocery store trying to find the best grapes, what bananas look good, and inspecting and smelling and tapping to see which fruit is best. Some of us love to use the online grocery shopping thing, but I know for my father, he will not let anybody else pick out his fruit but him. He doesn't trust them. They're not going to pick and have the same standards for the kind of fruit that he wants to have. Friends, basically, that's what Paul wants us to do in our own lives. We need to inspect and smell and tap ourselves to see if the fruit we're producing is fruit of the Spirit. Are we being loving and joyful and peaceful? And if we're not... It's time to get back on the vine, to get back to Jesus, to produce the kind of fruit God wants from us, to find new opportunities to be peacemakers and to practice goodness. Right after Paul gives us this fruit of the Spirit, Paul says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let's not be conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Those who say Jesus is Lord nail their desires and passions to Jesus' cross. 
We submit all of our desires and passions, our hopes and dreams to Jesus. We let them be adjusted or changed or replaced entirely by what Jesus wants us to do. That can be an incredibly painful process to give up what we want to do for what Jesus has called and gifted us to do. It can be entirely painful yet entirely purposeful because we're living out of the gifts and talents and passions God has placed inside of us. The early church does this. The early church nails their passions to the cross and a global movement of people crossing all cultures and languages and borders of people loving God fully, loving neighbor completely grows and explodes into the world. We're a part of that movement still today, inviting the Holy Spirit into our lives to do the deep work, making us people who love more than we control, who are patient more than we're angry, who are kind more than we are agitated. We can get to a place, we can get to a place where we're not conceited or provoking one another or jealous of one another as we let the Spirit do the deep work inside each one of us. This Easter, this Easter, the call and challenge is simple and profound. Every day, every day, wake up and say a short prayer, Jesus, you are my Lord. Jesus, you are my Lord. It's as simple and as powerful as that. It doesn't take a whole lot of faith to start a journey with Jesus. You don't have to have everything you believe set in stone for all of eternity. You can pray like the man who told Jesus one day, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. The smallest bit of faith can move mountains. Honest prayers change us and the world. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Second, every day. Every day, be open to the Holy Spirit, challenging you to nail your desires to the cross. Desires that are off kilter with what Jesus wants to do in you and in the world. Be open to a change. Be open to discarding a dream or a hope or a purpose that doesn't align with Christ. It can be painful, but incredibly life-affirming as you discover and fully live into that confession, Jesus is Lord. So friends, Christ is risen. May we go confessing daily Jesus is Lord, willing to nail our desires to Jesus' cross. Looking forward to that day, we live in the city where the main street is nothing but trees of life for our healing and the world's healing. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we confess we have times that we wonder if you rising from the dead is nothing more than a good story we tell ourselves when we're down, when we're sad, when we're hurting. And yet we are confronted daily with you moving in our lives, showing us you are indeed still alive. Help us to confess every day you are our Lord, no one, and nothing else is. And may we produce good fruit by nailing our desires to your cross. We pray like the man said so long ago, I believe, help my unbelief. It's in your resurrected name we pray together. Amen. Thank you.